Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. The Bible talks a lot about a believer's new life in Christ. Today, Pastor Roy will be talking about that new life and what it looks like. Colossians 3.10 says, And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. We encourage you to open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 and follow along with Pastor Ron. We talked about Thanksgiving, the gateway to praise. Today we're talking about new life in Christ. If we think about a reason to praise the Lord, it's because we have new life in Christ. He has given us new life. If you open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, we're going to focus in on verses 12 to 14, but we're probably not going to get through all of that today, and we'll pick up next week, because we're going to take our time in walking through uh, this passage, as well as looking at some other passages. Let's read through it together, Colossians 3, 12 to 14. says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity." The reason I picked this passage is because I know when it comes Christmas time and these holiday times, we get together sometimes with family we haven't seen for a long time, and we begin to rub shoulders, and sometimes there's friction, there's conflict, there's hurt, there's challenge. And so with that, God has given us a prescription of how to live in such a unified way because of our new life in Christ. So what does he tell us here? Before we even put anything on, we have to take something off. And what does he tell us? He tells us to take off our old self. If you look back in verse 9, he goes through this grocery list of things in 5 through 8, and he finishes it in verse 9. He says, don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. So we take off the old self, we strip away the self-centered, proud, arrogant, independent living and thinking, the self-seeking living that we have. We go back to chapter 2, verse 11. He says, in him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature. We put off this sinful nature, and then he tells us that we are to Put this sinful nature to death. If you look in chapter 3, verse 5, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So if we are to strip away the old life, those old practices, and that you can read about them in 5 through 9, and we are to put on Christ, how do we do that? How do we put to death this old life, these old habits? These old things that keep cropping up in my life that I can't seem to get rid of. How do I do that? 
Well, he tells us in Romans 8.13, he gives us the answer. Here's what he says. Paul says, if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. In other words, if you live according to the nature that you were born with, the nature that I was born with, I am going to die spiritually because the only nature I was born with and the only nature you were born with was a sin nature. That's the only nature I have. That's why you don't have to teach a baby to do wrong. They automatically do wrong. When you say do this, they do the opposite. Don't do that, they do it. And it's, it's that sin nature that we are all born with. We are all born with a sin nature. Every one of us. Not just in America, in the entire universe. So he tells us we've got to get rid of this sin nature and have new life in Christ. We've got to get this out. He says if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die spiritually. But, now here's the transition. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So he's telling me I've got to strip away the old sinful nature and I have to put on a new nature, the nature of Christ. How do I do that? By the Spirit of God. I have to ask God to come into my life and to help me live and give me a new nature. And that is salvation. I did that as a little boy. I was eight years old. Somewhere around seven or eight, I don't remember my exact age, but I remembered I was a sinner. I knew I had an old nature. I knew I needed a new nature in Christ. And I said, God, come into my life. Make me a new person. Give me this new nature, even though I didn't understand as a child what all that meant. And for the last 40 plus years, I've been learning what that means to put on Christ. So I put to death the misdeeds of the body by the Spirit of God. These indecent acts reveal a self-centered life. You see, when I live according to the sinful nature, who is on the throne? Self. Self is on the throne. God becomes on the throne of my life. He becomes the authority of my life when I accept this new nature that is through Jesus Christ. So he says, take off your old self and put on the new self. Notice what he says in verse 10. You have taken off your old self in verse 9, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. We put on this new self. It is like Paul is saying we're sinking into a new garment. Nothing like putting on a new suit or a new piece of clothing. Man, you just feel good about it, don't you? You sink into that, you look in the mirror, you stare at yourself, and God is saying, you know what, I'm going to give you a new garment to put on. This new life that is in Christ is like a new garment. You discard the old garment and you put on a new garment in Christ. And we begin to wear that new garment. He tells us in Colossians 2.13, notice what he says, flip back again for a moment, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. God is the one who makes me alive. He is the one who gives me the desire to please him and honor him. That doesn't come from me. It comes from the spirit of God that has been brought into my life by faith. In Jesus Christ he tells us in Ephesians 4:24 to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness and then we renew our minds he tells us to don't be conformed to this world but what be renewed in your mind transformed in your mind 
that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are renewed by the Holy Spirit. God gives that to us. Well, he goes on. Here's the theme of this letter to the church in Colossae. The supremacy of Christ in all things. Here is what he is saying. Here's how I'm using the word supremacy. The wisdom of God, the power of God, the grace of God, the holiness of God, the superiority of God. He is superior. He is above all things. His authority, his power, his wisdom, his majesty. He is supreme over everything. And we see this in chapter 1 because he talks about creation. He's saying he is supreme in creation. He spoke the world into existence, everything that is there. The first part of chapter 1 is his supremacy in redemption, that he saw us in our sinful condition and he came to redeem us. That's why he died on the cross and shed his blood to redeem us. So in redemption, the supremacy of God is seen. In creation, it is seen. In the church, it is seen. Why can people from different backgrounds, different colors, different races, different ethnicities, different educational levels, different income levels, how can we all get along? It's because of the supremacy of Christ. That when Christ is on the throne of your life and he's on the throne of my life, there's a unity there that only comes from Christ. And all these other garments that we're going to look look at that we will put on will make us more like Jesus Christ. So he is supreme in all things. He is supreme in the church. He is supreme in ministry. So we see the supremacy of Christ proclaimed in chapter 1. We also see the supremacy of Christ preserved. Why? There was a false teaching that was being perpetrated around Colossae, Gnosticism. You're like, what in the world is Gnosticism? Let me tell you just two basic things about Gnosticism. Gnosticism taught that you had to have a superior intellect, a high intelligence, a secret wisdom to be saved, to have this relationship with God. That was one. That was false. Secondly, they taught that matter or physical things were evil And spirit, immaterial things, were good. So Paul attacks that teaching and says no. Notice if you look back in chapter 1, verse 28. He says, we proclaim him, Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Notice what he said. He's teaching everyone, not those with a superior intellect, not those with a secret wisdom and knowledge. The gospel is universal. It is available to everyone. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present what? Those with a superior intellect? Those with a secret wisdom? No. So that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. So Paul is attacking Gnosticism. He's saying it's not a select few. It's not a secret wisdom. It is the wisdom that comes from God that is available to the universe, to everyone in the universe. If you don't understand it yet, we pray that you will come to that understanding and that knowledge. The second thing is he said that matter 
They said that matter was evil, physical things are evil, and that uh, uh, immaterial things, spirit is good. So he's saying the world that God created is evil. However, it wasn't. He says everything that he made was good in Genesis, right? But notice what he says in Colossians chapter 1. In verse 21, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's what? Physical body through death to present you holy. And he intentionally said about Christ's physical body because the physical is not evil in and of itself. God created it good. And so here, Paul is attacking those two tenets of Gnosticism, that you have to have a superior intellect to be saved, and, you, and the physical was evil and spiritual was good. Everything God made was good, but because man sinned in the garden and disobeyed God, now we are born with this sin nature, and only God can give us a new nature. The third thing here, oh, let me back up a minute. So the supremacy of God is preserved. There was a fear that the supremacy of Christ would be lost. How? Number one, in empty philosophy. Many people today become educated, and when they become educated, they become educated out of their faith. They're talked out of their faith and say, well, that's silly to believe in someone that died on the cross for sin. But does education have the answer for our sin nature? Do they have the answer for new life? They don't. There's no answer in education. Ask some of the school teachers in our public schools, right, where they throw up their hands, or even in Christian school, they throw up their hands and say, what are we supposed to do with these kids? Because it's the sin nature. And the only answer and remedy for his sin nature is the supremacy of Christ, his wisdom, his grace, his forgiveness in our life. So they were concerned that this empty philosophy would strip people away from their faith in Christ. They were concerned that it would also be lost in religious legalism. What I mean by that is some people go through the motions of church. They come in, they sit down, they, they, they hear the message and they leave and there's no change in their life. They do the same thing. They use the same kind of language. They look at the same kind of stuff. They talk the same kind of way, same habits, behavior that is contrary to God's word and there's no change. That's going through the motions of religious legalism and it doesn't change us. The supremacy of Christ is lost in that. It also, they were concerned that the supremacy of Christ would be lost in man-made disciplines. It's the idea of I'll pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I'll do the Christian life myself. I'll make changes myself. I will change myself. You can't change yourself. It's only the grace of God. It's only the power of Christ that can help you make changes. Any change I make at all is a result of the grace of God in my life and in your life. He goes on to talk about the supremacy of Christ practiced. 
in personal purity. The first 11 verses of chapter 3, he talks about personal purity, living a life of moral integrity. And we practice the supremacy of Christ by living a pure life. He talks about the supremacy of Christ is practiced in our Christian fellowship. When Christ, again, is on the throne of my life and he's on the throne of yours, guess what? There's a unity there. There's a love. There's a fellowship that we enjoy. There's sharing together. There's encouraging one another, bearing one another's burdens and praying for one another. And all of that happens as a result of the supremacy of Christ in my life and in yours. There's Christian witness. There's also in, in the home. He gives rules for living in the home. And those rules, when we begin to live by those rules or those guidelines, help us live the Christian life. Well, then he gets to verses 12 to 14. And here's what we're going to camp on this morning. Our position in Christ. He says, Therefore, well, what's the therefore? Well, therefore, because I have had an old nature and I've stripped it away. I've put to death the misdeeds of my body. I have put on the new life of Jesus Christ. I have recognized the supremacy of Christ. Because I've done that, I have a new position in Christ. I have that new position. And what is that position? Here's what he says. Therefore, as God's chosen people... That's my position. I am the people of God. You are the people of God if you have embraced Christ into your life. You've recognized that your sin nature kept you away from Christ. And you said, God, I'm sorry that I was a sinner. I confess that sin to you. And now I embrace you into my life and you give me new life in Jesus Christ. That's my position in Christ. I've been given new life. The first year I played baseball, I was 10 years old. I'll never forget it. The coach, I thought the coach was old. He was like 19 or 20. <laughs> I thought he was old. I mean, I thought he was like 40, you know. He was only like 19 or 20. And I'll never forget, one of the, we had uh, batting practice, uh, one of our practices and out of the blue, I'm playing second base. Out of the blue, he calls me to the pitcher's mound. I'm like, me? <laughs> me? Uh, so I go to the pitcher's mound, and he hands me the ball. He said, I want you to throw some batting practice. So I started throwing batting practice, and I, don't, I honestly can't tell you how I did. I guess I did okay, because after the practice, we huddled the team together, and he said, Roy's going to pitch the next game. I was like, Wow. That's cool. So I pitched the next game, and I had never pitched before other than that practice. And somehow, God allowed me to throw a no-hitter. I have the game ball at home. And somehow, God allowed me to hit a grand slam that game. I had never done either one of those ever since, and no, there's been no scouts knocking at my door. Because when I was 15, I think I was sitting on the bench. So somehow God allowed me to do that. But here's the thing that I want to share with you. When I was called to the pitcher's mound to take that position, the coach put me in that position. And because he put me in that position, I was encouraged. I had confidence that I could do the job because he had confidence in putting me in that position. 
And that was a good feeling. And so it was neat. Here's the thing. I did not put myself in Christ. I did not put myself in Christ. You did not put yourself in Christ if you're in Christ this morning. Notice what it says. Therefore, as what? God's, what kind of people? Chosen people. I want you to grasp the significance of being chosen. You did not choose God. He chose you. Because you weren't pursuing him. He began to work in your life somehow that you began to say, you know what, I want to learn about this God. I want to learn what the Bible says. That doesn't happen by accident. It happens because the Spirit of God begins to work in your life and draw you to himself. And that's the only reason any of us have any position in Christ whatsoever. So here's the three things we want to talk about in our position in Christ. I am a chosen son of God. Secondly, I am a chaste son of God. And thirdly, I'm a cherished son of God. Those are wonderful truths. The first one, I am chosen by God. Chosen son of God. God chose me based on his sovereignty. Now that's a big word. Sovereignty means that God in his wisdom makes decisions and nobody tells him what decisions to make. He makes them. I mean, he, you didn't instruct God how to make you. I didn't instruct God how to make me. He made me the way he wanted me, with my ethnicity, my skin, where I would be born, when I would be born, who I would be born to. God chose all of that for me. It was predetermined. But here's the amazing thing. Somehow, God in his wisdom and sovereignty chose me that I could understand who he was. He chose you that you could understand who he was. That's an amazing truth. When we think about it that way, and you know what that does? That strips away every ounce of pride or boastfulness I could possibly have. There's no boasting. There's no pride in that. That's why Paul said, I, might, I boast only in the cross of Christ. Because it's only because of his cross and only because he revealed Christ to me that I could have a relationship with him. He chose me. It means God took the initiative prior to any human response I could have toward him at all. Prior to me even being born, God chose me. I don't understand even how all that works. I'm a recipient of God's favor, his kindness, and his grace to me. I don't understand all that. But I'm thankful for it. In other words, there was no special virtue in me. God chose me. Let me just go back for a moment in Ephesians chapter 1. Listen to this. In Ephesians 1, 5, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. He predestined us. He chose us. He decided ahead of time to do that. He tells us in verse 11 of Ephesians 1, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined 
according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Here's the amazing thing to me in his sovereignty and him choosing. Why does he choose any of us? Because when he chose me and when he chose you, you were sinful. I had no inclination toward God whatsoever. I didn't love God. I didn't care about God. I didn't know God. And yet he chose me. And he chose to reveal himself to you. And if you don't know him yet, God is probably working on you coming to know him. That's why you're here. And that's great. It's wonderful. Look at this verse here in Deuteronomy. The Lord did not set, he's talking about Israel. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord, what? Loved you. (laughs) That's why he chose. Because God loves us. Yeah, he loves the Israelites and he he loves us. That's why God chose us. He set us apart to worship him. Secondly, God chose me before the creation of the world. I don't understand that either. In Ephesians 1.4, it says, He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. This requires thoughtful and deliberate consideration. God chose He looked into eternity, past time, and he chose me before I was even conceived. I don't understand how he does that, but he did. Thirdly, God chose me to bring pleasure to himself. In 2 Timothy 2.4, here's what it says. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. And notice he uses the language of soldier and war because we are in a spiritual battle. There's a spiritual battle for our soul. Satan wants your soul and God wants your soul. And there's a tug of war going on between the two. God is more powerful He will bring us to the light if we will listen and believe. Fourthly, God chose me to be godly. He chose me to be godly. In John 15, 16, it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So he says to go and bear fruit. Bearing fruit is godliness. Because if we go to Galatians chapter 5, he says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, self-control. That is the fruit of the Spirit. And when we bear fruit, we will be godly. That's what God desires in us, that we will be godly. 
He tells us that the fruit of righteousness is what we will bear in Philippians 1.11. One writer said it's the fruit that righteousness produces. So God chose me based on his love, his sovereignty. Then the last one. Here's one that maybe keeps many people away from the Lord. The world hates me because I was chosen by God. Say, really? Yeah. The world doesn't like Christians, love Christians. Look what ISIS is doing to the church and Christians. Why does ISIS hate Christians? Because it reminds them of God. Here's what he says in John 15, 19. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Some people will not give their life to Christ because they want to be friends with the world. And we are chosen out of the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We don't think like the world. We don't act like the world. We don't have the philosophy of the world. Because the philosophy of the world is do everything you can to get ahead. <laughs> However you have to do it. So we were chosen by God. Secondly, we're a chaste son of God. Notice he says, Therefore as God's chosen people, holy... I am holy because God chose me. There's no other reason. In 1 Peter 2.9, he says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. For what reason? Why did God choose us? Why did he make us holy? so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He called us out of sin. He called us away from the old life to put the old life to death so that we could worship and magnify and honor the supremacy of Christ. That's why he's done it. So we are holy because God chose us, called out of darkness, called to be morally clean, to be set apart by God, to be set apart for his divine purpose in my life. Secondly, I am holy because of God's righteousness. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God is the one who gives us that righteousness in our life. Then we are a cherished son of God. A cherished son of God. Notice it says in Deuteronomy 7, 8 that we read a moment ago, it was because the Lord loved you. That's why he chose us. And also Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. 
That's what God has done for us. The Bible says that nothing can separate us from God's love. Now, this is important because when I realize that God loves me, my value and my self-worth is derived from God's love. That's where it comes from. My value and self-worth comes from God's love, listen, and not other people's opinion of me. Here's where many people get their self-worth. People in the world. My performance plus the opinions of others equals my self-worth. That's where most people get their self-worth. It's my performance, how I do or don't do. Other people's opinion of me equals my self-worth. But what is God's answer for that? God's answer is, I love you, and that's all that matters. His opinion of me is what matters, not somebody else's. Because, listen now, because I am a chosen, chaste, and cherished child of God, I will have a strong desire to wear the garments of godliness out of gratitude to God. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. As we bow this morning, I want you to think about the position you are in right now. Are you still in the old self, the old life? Say, well, how do I know? Well, have you received the new life? If you haven't received the new life, you're still in the old life. How do I receive the new life? I receive the new life by faith. I believe what God says in his word, that if I confess with my mouth, if I confess my sins, the Bible says if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will cleanse me from all sin, all unrighteousness, if I confess that sin to God. And then I embrace the new life. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, listen to these verses. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So we come to new life in Christ by putting my faith and as Dr. Lowen sang this morning our trust in Jesus and Jesus alone his death on the cross paid for your sin and for mine that's why he died and in giving that death on the cross he brings life to us 
The Bible says we have crossed over from death to life by believing in Jesus Christ. He gives us new life. And then we begin to put off the old life. We begin to put the old life to death by the Spirit of God. How does the Spirit of God work? I'll tell you how the Spirit of God works. When I read the Bible, He begins to give me understanding. It begins to make sense to me. And when it begins to make sense and it begins to talk to me about my life and my relationship to God, I know what I need to do. I know things that I need to change in my life. Something I need to stop doing. Something else I need to start doing. The Spirit of God will show that to you and me. And He will begin to reveal to you the supremacy of Christ, His wisdom, His power, His grace, His forgiveness. All those things will come to light over time. And it does take time. It doesn't happen all at once. But God will give that to you. So have you gotten rid of the old life? Have you put it to death? Or is the old life, is self, still on the throne of your life? You see, the position we have in Christ is a position of privilege. I am enjoying the privilege of my position in Christ or I am forfeiting my privilege as a son of God who is chosen, chaste, and cherished and I'm chained in some sort of sin. And as we sang about this morning, God wants to break the chain. He wants to heal your pain. This position is not only a position of privilege, it's a position of purity. I have been made clean by the blood of Christ. So it's a position of purity. And I desire moral purity in my life because God has placed me in this position in Christ. Is there some particular sin that is tripping you up? The Bible says that God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And then the last thing I will say is it is a position of power. Because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Some people say, you know what, I can't give that up. I can't stop doing that. I can't. You, you know what, you're, you're right. You can't. <laughs> but God can through you. See, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, not through my power, my strength, my wisdom, but through Christ. So maybe there's a particular thing in your life. Maybe there would just be one thing that God is telling you, you know what, here's something that needs to change in your life so that you are living in line with your position. Your practice is matching your position in Christ. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, 
we would be glad to pray with you and share with you how you can have a personal relationship with God. I'll be shaking hands at the back door. Feel free to greet myself or call the church office. Call my cell phone. It's listed in the church bulletin. We'd be glad to share with you how you can have a personal relationship with God. Let's pray together. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.